I'm going to go from down here just so that I'm not tripping over anything backwards either. Be good. Save that for tomorrow. Is he moonwalking? Uh, so we are in uh, Acts today. So we've said, uh, we've said that a number of weeks in a row. Um, feel like we're actually getting into Acts today. So just so you know where we're going, we are looking kind of the passage around what Doug read there, the first sermon that uh, Peter gave. And really kind of getting to what we said, the whole reason we wanted to go into Acts, and that is because we want to see how the early church carried out the mission that Jesus gave them. And, and so that's why we want to look at the book of Acts. We're not going to do it the exact same way because our, con- our context is different. We don't live in Jerusalem in the first century, but uh, we, can t- we can look at how they obeyed the mission that Jesus gave them and apply that to us. And so that's why we're in Acts. Um, and I just thought, it feels like the last number of weeks, we've been kind of laying the foundation for that. And, and so to kind of get to where we are today, I actually just want to do a bit of a review, um, kind of getting us up to that point, because I think Acts, uh, Acts is just, the, we see it right from the beginning. Everything we've been talking about, really since January, we see right from Acts 1, the first verse, right up to where we're looking at today. And so we're going to do that. And... Uh, um, so the first one, just uh, if you remember back in January, I started in September, and we kind of looked at, we just asked that question back in September of, of who are we? You know, 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen says that God has put the body together exactly as he will. And so this is Huron Chapel, the people, right? God has put us here for a purpose. He has a purpose specifically for us in this time where he has us. And who are we? And then starting in January, we just asked that question, what is the mission that Jesus gave us? And we talked about how just so often we look at the Christian life, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? And that's good, we need to be asking that, but what are we to do as Christians? God has put us on a mission, we are disciples, we do what Jesus did. And so that was kind of the question we asked with the orange sheet. Remember back in January there, the orange sheet, and there's some at the back there, kind of asking that question, what's the mission that Jesus gave us? And we spent some time doing that. Um, Anybody remember what kind of, how we summarize, what's the mission Jesus gave us? Somebody. Make disciples, surely gets a prize, yeah. So, no, I don't have any prizes. You can have coffee after and get treats. Um, but yeah, making disciples, that's right. So that's, that probably best sums up what we said our mission is. Jesus, our master, we are his disciples. We follow him. He made disciples and he said, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. And then how do we do that? And so then we spent a number of months looking at Jesus' instructions on how to do that from John. And we looked at just that section, but from the Gospel of John, chapters 14 to 16, that's the blue sheet also back there, if you have that. But uh, the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples. And then we see, you remember in that, that's where Jesus drops that bomb. It's like the week leading up to Passover. And he tells the disciples, okay, look at here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be arrested, crucified, and then I'm going back to the Father. And the disciples are like, what? You know, we just thought this was the moment when you were going to proclaim yourself Messiah. This is what we've been building up to. What do you mean you're going? And then he gives them the assurance that, don't worry, I'm sending the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And uh, that's his promise, right? And so we spent the last few weeks, we, looked, we started in Acts and looked at that's the first thing that happens, just like Jesus promised. And we spent the last number of weeks, the pink sheet, 
looking at the Holy Spirit, right? And so that kind of gets us to where we are today. That's the foundation, I think, that is needed for us now to be able to apply, to step into how do we then carry out the mission. We know what the mission is. We've looked at how Jesus said to do it. We do it in unity. We do it based on the great commandment to love God and love others. All these things with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go proclaim the kingdom of God through the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd really appreciate it, encourage you to have your own Bible. And if not, you can borrow one of ours today. For those of you that have your own Bible, I encourage you to, to make some notes. I see some pens out there. It's okay with writing in the margin, underlining, highlighting. Um, we always look at like our grandfather's Bible or something when they pass away, and it's like, wow, look at all the notes. And then, you know, when do we start doing that ourselves? I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, I'd encourage you to make some notes this morning. Make some underlines. Make some stars. Maybe you have a piece of paper. There should be a note sheet somewhere. But grab a pen. And uh, let's, let's look at this this morning. If you're using a device, that's cool. You know, if you, if you got a phone or something, um, I prefer paper, but if you got that, there's version Bible apps, probably the most popular one, letter U. You can make notes and highlight and all that kind of stuff too and share it with your friends if you're into that kind of technology. Anyways, I just want to, let's, let's make those notes. I just, that hit me this week as I'm studying because I'm seeing notes and underlines that I made and I'm like, oh yeah, right? And so, um, anyway, so grab a Bible. Please have something open in front of you. Acts chapter one, I won't have all the scriptures on the screen. But starting in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, just a quick review to get us to where we are. Reinforce what we just talked about, those foundations. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke, yes. And what else did he, what other book did he write? Luke, yes, that's an easy one. Good job. Yes, so that's what he said. In the first book, oh, Theophilus, he's talking about the book of Luke. I dealt with all that Jesus, and I highlighted this, began to do and teach. And I just like that. I just wanted to point that out. You can underline that or something, highlight that word began, because what Luke's saying, right, what he's meaning when he says began is what he's, he's implying is that Jesus is still the one doing and teaching, right? So we're about to go into the book of Acts, and we're going to see incredible things, people being healed by shadows and handkerchiefs and, and shipwrecks, you know, all kinds of these incredible stories of what God does, and it's Jesus, the one that's still doing the doing and teaching through the disciples, who have, they're out on this mission, but it's him doing the work. I just wanted to point that one out. He's doing the work. And then verse 2, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen. What are the commands that Jesus gave his disciples? Think of any from this. Maybe you got your blue sheet. If you got your blue sheet with you. What did we talk about for a few months there from John? What are some of the commands Jesus gave his disciples? The Great Commission. Yes, the Great Commission. Where is it found? Matthew 28. Yeah, if anybody got the bookmark, also at the back. Grab a bookmark. It's got it on it. We memorized this one. Let's see if we can do it. And it won't be on the screen. Ready? Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus said... Oh, good. I heard some people get right to the end. Good job. Yeah, Matthew 28. You thought I was going to lead you. See? That's why you got to have it memorized. I don't care what version you do it in. Um, 
you know, that's uh, scripture. That's that getting it down into our hearts. And again, there's bookmarks back there to help you. We memorize that one, but, and we've referenced it how many times? Make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them what Jesus said, right? And he will be with us to the end of the age. The commands, some of the other ones, any other commands that Jesus gave that we really zoned in on or maybe one that's significant to you, that you live by, this is your master, Jesus, he's your master, this is your life as a disciple. What are, what are the commands for us? Sorry? Love one another. Yes, the great commandment. Don't murder. That's a good one too. Yes. So obey that one. It's true. The Ten Commandments. Can I just expand it to the Ten Commandments? Right? Those things, those good things to live by. Yes, loving one another. We talked about that. The unity that got John 13. That's the backside of the bookmark. Right? That, that the world will know that God sent Jesus when they look at the church and see the love and the unity that we have. Amen? Amen. John, that's John 13, 34, 35. So those are the commands. So we've, we're building that foundation, right? Built on Jesus is the one doing the work. This mission that we're on, as here on chapel, Jesus is the one doing the work, right? He's given us this mission, this command to go make disciples, to baptize them. We're doing that on the 30th, right? Anybody who would like to be baptized, July 30th at the camping weekend, church camping, we are going to have a baptismal service. So please come talk to me or Ernest or one of the elders and we'll, uh, we'll uh, talk to you about that. We've, that's our baptism Sunday teaching them to obey everything that Jesus had commanded. And so we teach. And then verse 3. Oh, I went backwards. Luke, Luke records this. And Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Luke starts off his letter just reminding us that this is real. Jesus really did die. He really did rise again. Right? And he starts off with that proof. And that's what our gospel message is built on. Right, That's basically a quick summary there. Jesus' death and resurrection is, what we, is the message that we're bringing. Speaking about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is really just that. It's that, I like, to, I like the phrase I heard, pushing back the darkness. As Christians, we're bringing the light of God's word into a dark world. That we are on mission. The kingdom of God is to, is to work towards what will be when Jesus comes back and makes all things new, but he's commissioned us to, to do that work now. Amen. And then jump down to verse 8. So we've got that foundation, right? Jesus the one doing the work, the mission that he gave us, the commands that he gave us that we're obeying, that mission to make disciples. And then we get to verse 8. This is really the theme verse of all of Acts. This is what it's, if it summarizes the whole thing, really. And another one we should have memorized. Actually, the kids do. Do any kids want to say Acts 1-8? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, awesome. So I don't know if you know the kids. Uh, the kids memorize that in kids' church, and uh, and so this is a great one to memorize. I hope you memorize it. But look at that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, right? Last week we talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? And what was the purpose of the gifts? There was two reasons for the gifts. Why does the Holy Spirit give the gifts? Two reasons from last week. Anybody? Two purposes. To build up the church, 
Yes, to build up the church. We talked about that's one of the reasons for the gift is to build up the church. And we're going to see that as we get into the the book of Acts. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, the first church. And what happens? The church is built up. And so we're going to see that over and over and over. And what's the other reason he gives the gifts? To spread the gospel, bear witness to Jesus. That's right. We're going to see that today too. Amen. And so we're getting there. So there's the theme verse. There's the introduction from Luke. And now he's going to go in just to kind of skim through the next ones. Verses 9 down to 11. Luke records Jesus' ascension back to heaven, right? So Jesus gives that commission. Go, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. That includes us, right? Because that's going to happen until he comes back again. That mission is going on until he comes back again. And he hasn't come back yet, right? And so... We're still on that mission. He goes up to heaven. The disciples are standing there, you know, looking up. A couple voices behind him, a couple angels are like, hey, let's go get cracking. And, uh, and so they go back to Jerusalem to obey him, to wait for the Holy Spirit, like he said. While they're there, devoting themselves to prayer, verse 14, right? So the disciples go back to the upper room. They obey Jesus, waiting for the Holy Spirit. They devote themselves to prayer. And so I think this is where we can start to, to apply this to us. The first step and the, the ongoing with every step as we go forward to fulfill the mission that Jesus has given us is here on chapel is prayer, right? They go to prayer first. I heard that line, if you can do it without prayer, you can do it without God. You ever heard that? And it's just, that's always stuck with me because it's something that, that as humans, we can do a lot on our own thinking, especially if you've grown up in church. Man, we know the next step to do often, right? And just the, the reminder to stop and pause and ask God to listen. Lord, what do you want to do? What are you looking to do? And to listen that he would be the one leading us. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Together. See that? Together in one accord, in unity. Seeking the Lord for what he had for them. That's where it starts. During that time, they, the rest of chapter 1, they add um, another disciple to replace Judas. And then chapter 2 starts, right? Flip over to Acts chapter 2. We looked at this already too, but it is a review. Verse 1, we're building up to where we're going to be able to apply, right? Verse 1, and it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Okay, there's that disciples, verse 15, said there was 120 of them. They're all together. And this is, Jesus had said, wait for the Holy Spirit. Here they are, they've been praying 10 days, waiting for the Holy Spirit. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Does anybody remember what I said? That, that word arrived, actually better translated, was accomplished. Okay? And uh, when the day of Pentecost was accomplished. Anybody remember what the, the Feast of Pentecost was about? especially in Jesus' day, what was that a celebration of? Remember? The giving of the law. Out on Mount Sinai, you know, when Moses went up, got the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law, that was what they celebrated at Pentecost. It happened 50 days after Passover, so after Jesus was crucified. So here they are, the disciples have been waiting. They're, they're on the mission now, right? Just like we are. They've been given the mission. They've got the commands. Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. This is, I'm going to be the one doing the work through you, by the power of the Holy Spirit. They devote themselves to prayer, waiting for this moment to happen. On that day, when it happens, Luke records it with this. He starts with this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, 
that day of Pentecost, that celebration of the law was when they had delivered from slavery in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea, right? That salvation moment. They get to Mount Sinai. They set up camp. God comes down on the mountain. There's thunder and lightning, right? And Moses goes up. If you even set foot on the mountain, you'll die, right? And Moses goes up to the top of the mountain to receive the law. And that was really the definition of that old covenant, that was what that law was. It was defining this, this old covenant of the, of the Jewish people, right? And so they receive that. How are they to live as God's people? Well, when it's talking here, when he says that the day of Pentecost was accomplished, right? That's referring to the new covenant because the Old Testament talks about, but that old covenant was going to pass away. A new covenant was coming. A great, probably the best place is Jeremiah 31, 34, 31 to 34. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. That's a great one to put in the margin or something right there at Acts 2.1. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. If you look up that section, it talks about the new covenant. It says God's going to make a new covenant with his people, and he will put his word within them. It'll be in them, right? Give them that, that fleshly heart that they're going to live under this new covenant. So when Luke here in chapter 2 Acts 2, 1, he's going, look at the old covenant's been accomplished. The new covenant starts now. The word is coming to dwell in you. And now your life as a Christian, you are going to live out by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, right? And that's what we looked at a few weeks ago when we looked at Romans chapter 8, was that life in the Holy Spirit, life in the Spirit for Romans chapter 8. God's word is now written in our hearts. Do you see the significance of that, that Acts 2 chapter 1? That's what they're calling in. This is a whole new covenant. The church is going out to live out this new covenant, the word written on their hearts, to take the mission of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then it happens. Verses, verses 2 down to 2 and 3, and suddenly there came a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so they, the, the Holy Spirit comes on them, and, uh, and he shows, reveals it in this way. There's, there's a rushing wind, there's, there's fire, the, you know, God's presence, God's presence coming down on each one of them. And they start speaking in these other languages, right? And they're praising and extolling God in these other languages, it says. And it draws this big crowd because Pentecost is one of the mandatory feasts for the Israelites. So you had all these God-fearers from other nations, or maybe they were Jews that had been other nations, they'd grown up and they understand that language, that's the language they knew, and they've all come back to Jerusalem because it's a mandatory feast, and they're all there, and they, it's early in the morning, and they all get drawn in by this, what is this? We're hearing God being praised in our own language. And so it draws this big crowd. And then if you read through there, you'll see you, what, what happens is they, they start to, it draws a big crowd, and they start to go, what's going on here? And some of them are going, I think they're drunk. Why are they all, right? And Peter's going to address that. But what I just wanted to point out here is a couple of interesting things. First off, the first thing the Holy Spirit does, right? He comes in power, just like it said would happen in Acts 1.8. Jesus said, right? He's going to come in power so that you can be my witnesses, right? You will receive power so that you can be my witnesses. From right where you are, the people God's put in your life, to the ends of the earth. And what happens the first time the Holy Spirit comes on them? Basically, the ends of the earth are already there. Isn't that neat? The ends of the earth, and they start speaking in all these other languages. 
and, but it draws a crowd. And I thought for us, like it, it pulls them in because they saw something. What's going on? And for us in our Christian lives, like what is it? We should live in a different way that should make people question and go, what's, what's with them? Like they're different. Have you ever had that? Like that's one of the ways that God opens a door that is the Holy Spirit at work in our life reveals something and people go, there's something different about them. And they ask questions. Now, sometimes they make the wrong assumption because they're kind of have a, they have a worldly worldview, right? So just like here, they're going, ah, maybe they're just drunk. I don't know what's going on with you. Why do you act that way? They don't understand, but it gives the opportunity to explain. And that's what Peter does. And that's basically the start of his sermon. Peter has this opening now and he stands up starting at verse 14. He says this, but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 a.m., third hour of the day. There's actually Jewish law. You couldn't drink before 9 a.m. So, <laughs> so he's like, look it, they can't be drunk. Right? But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And now he's going to quote from a prophecy from Joel, the book of Joel. Now just think, just remember his audience. His audience is all these Jews that have come to Jerusalem for a specific feast. These are God-fearers. They're devoted. That's why they traveled all those miles from the ends of the earth to come to Jerusalem. So these are devoted, right? So he's speaking to them for something, for their context. They've been drawn in. What's God doing? And so he's going to use God's word, something they'd be very familiar with, to reveal to them, this is what God's doing. And so what does it look like for us? When, God, when someone sees something different with you, when you have those, when God opens a door in some way, he's opened a door for Peter here, for us it's going to look different. When God opens a door somehow because they see something different in you, some action, they have some question, why do you do that? Why do you not do that? Why do you act like that? Why did you say that? Why did you not say that? Why didn't you get angry and yell at that person who was, who was getting mad at you, right? Or did that thing to you that wasn't fair? Why, why are you always so joyful even with all the trials and whatever you're, what you're going through? And they ask those questions, right? How do we then engage and say and help them to see? What can we do that they would understand, would go, that would point them to the deeper reality that, no, it's not just what you're seeing on the surface. There's a reality that God is real and he's working in me. That's what Peter's doing here and that's what we look to do with our message. And so he goes to the prophet Joel and he explains in that context, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So Peter's going, let me explain it. This is what the prophet Joel talked about when the Holy Spirit would come. So again, for us, what does that look like for us? What are the, how do we then connect someone? We have that opportunity. God gives us an open door. How do we help them to see the reality of God? The, uh, there's a line from a Casting Crown song that always stuck with me that I really like, and it says, when you love, you get the chance or the opportunity to share the truth. And when you share the truth, you show you truly love. And I've just always liked that because it's that balance, right? That, that we, we do the things, we care for the poor, we, we are kind, we are loving to, the, to our neighbor, right? Good Samaritan parable. We, we do those things, but 
We do that so that we have the opportunity to, to point them to the greater truth of God's love for them. That's the goal, right? And so to, to be the nice person and, and do all that kind, that's important, yes. Because when we, to go and just tell people that they're going to hell, you know, without any relationship, right? It's like that so often, how many people know someone who has been turned off, offended by the church because they feel they just got beat by the Bible, right? And so we need to build relationship. God gives us people in our lives to build relationship with them so that we can have the opportunity to show them Jesus' love. But once we have that relationship, if we don't actually use our mouth to share the truth and to be intentional about God, give me the opportunity to actually share the truth. It's like, it's like helping them fix a, a flat tire on the road to destruction, not telling them to turn around. You know, you did the kind thing, you helped them, it was great, we should do that, help them, but you can't leave it there, you know? And I'm not saying that every opportunity you get, we have to go through the whole gospel message. This is why we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, because God has put people in your lives, some of them are family members in your family for life, right? So what does it look like to both be love and share the truth consistently? What does that look like for someone that's a family member? But that's maybe different from someone that's a coworker. how that's going to look. And that's going to look different to your neighbor who you're just getting to know. It's going to look different to the kids at VBC next week that we got one week, you know, and we want to love on them as best we can, and we want to share the truth, right? It's going to look different, but that's why we have the Holy Spirit to help guide us how we can go about keeping those things in balance, sharing the truth and showing love. And that's what Peter's doing here. And then it's interesting, Peter goes on and he shares the next section of the prophecy too. At first you think, why would you share that section too? But he shares the next section of Joel's prophecy as well. And it says this, And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. What's, what's that talking about? That part of it. Sorry? Jesus coming back, yeah. That's, uh, that's, if you want a big fancy word, you can look up later, eschatology. Yeah, you can look that one up. But that's what that, this is a passage about Jesus coming back. This is end times language, if you've ever read Revelation or one of those passages, okay? This is what he's talking about. Why would Peter include that? Well, how can we apply that to us and the open doors God gives us? Well, I think it's that Peter is pointing to the reality that yeah, there's something more than what you see. These, these, these disciples aren't drunk, right? He starts there. And then he points them to the reality. And the fact that God is real means something. There's implications to that. The fact that there is a God who created everything makes him an authority. He's the one that gets to decide how this all ends. As much as we don't like that as humans, we want to be our own God, that's just the truth. The reality is if there's a God who created life, he gets to determine how it works. And so Peter's pointing to that. Now, the Jews he's talking to would have already believed that. That's why he can quote Joel to them, and, they don't, and they'd understand. But for us, how does that look like? How do we get people to see it's not just that there's, you know, there's some higher power, you know? There is a God, and there is one true way. There is a God, and there's an eternity at stake. There is a life after death. Those are truths that we believe, right? And so how do we bring that truth into those conversations? And then the good news is, though, 
he's going to, that's why he includes that last verse from Joel's prophecy, verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he doesn't just leave it there that, you know what, the reality that there's a God, you're witnessing right here, you're witnessing it. That's what he's telling that crowd. The reality that there's a God, but don't, it means that he's an authority, but he's also provided a way for salvation for everyone who calls on his name. And we all know what that way of salvation is, right? And that's what he's going to go into next. And so just to pause here with Peter and his sermon. And so we can apply a point this morning. So we're looking to be able to apply this to the opportunities that God gives us, right? So what does he do? He looks for an opportunity to point to the reality of God. That's the first thing he does. He wants people to see that there's more than just the surface level. So often our, our conversations, especially with people that are maybe acquaintances, co-workers, friends at school, whatever, they, they stay on the surface, you know, what's going on in our lives, right? How do we get those deeper? I call them God conversations. How do we bring those to a God conversation somehow? And then he, he starts to speak the truth. In this case, he, he brought the reality of if there's a God, that means he's an authority, right? What do we do with that? Right? I was talking to a friend of mine and... Uh, I kind of had that same question. I said, this is kind of the, I think, the, one of the, the core human question. And it is, is there a God? And if there is, what's he want to do with me? What's he got to do with me? You know, that's a core question of what it means to be human. The answers to that. And then, of course, the good news, the gospel is that he's made a way of salvation. And that's where we want to get to, isn't it? That's where we want those God for God conversations to go. And so Peter's going to do exactly that verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Remember these, these people, they, I'm sure they've heard of Jesus and all the miracles he did, right? That's what he's saying. Remember that? Remember all the miracles you heard about? As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So Peter's going into the gospel message here and, and you see the first thing he does, first thing he does is just the reality of who Jesus is. Who is Jesus, right? We need people to, we need to now, we live in a culture that's so post-Christian, often people don't know even the basics about who Jesus is. And so how do we share who Jesus is? And I think one of the ways that we have is, is the resurrection, you know, that we have, the, we have the Word of God. We have the Book of Acts, a historical account. We have the Gospels. These are historical documents of what happened. And, and so we can point to that and we can say, look it, Jesus was a real guy. Even non-Christian scholars agreed. There was a man named Jesus that walked on this earth that was arrested and killed by the Romans. They might not agree that he rose from the dead, non-Christian scholars, but they don't have any other explanation for how Christianity got started, right? It really is the only explanation, because if a body had been produced, Christianity would have never started, right? Nor would have any of the apostles been willing to die for something they knew was a lie if they just made it up. And so there's this proof. There is no better explanation for real history than Jesus is who he said he is. He said, I'm going to die, and three days later rise again, and then he did it. Isn't that amazing? We can share that kind of a thing. That's how Peter starts. He reminds them, like, look at, for them, for the Jews that Peter's talking to, they were waiting for the Messiah. And Peter's pointing out, Jesus was that Messiah. He's the one that was prophesied about. Look at what he fulfilled. So he, he, he shares with them the reality of who Jesus is, but then he makes it personal. You see verse 
23, whom you crucified. Right? Now this crowd he's talking to, not every single one of them would have been there at the crucifixion. They weren't the one hammering the nails. Why does he say that? Think of the old hymn, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. You know? He makes it personal. He, point, he brings it down to look at, there is a God. You, you're asking what's going on. Show me there's a reality of a God. He's the one in authority. He's the creator. He created life, right? He's the one that's going to judge in the end. But he's made a way. Jesus, he's real. He really did live. Jesus is just like the Bible says. It's true, I'm telling you. And why do you need him? Because of your sin. You're separated from God individually. You've been separated, but God's made a way. He came to die for you. That death on the cross was for you personally. Makes it personal. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. We need to kind of get to the point we can ask that question, what have you done with Jesus? You know, once the facts have been laid out, everybody has to make a decision. What have you done with the truth of Jesus? Choosing not to decide or to ignore it is still a choice. Peter's going to go on, verses 25 to 35. I won't read through them all, but he's going to reinforce exactly that. He's driving home that message. So he, he quotes a psalm of David, Psalm 16, talking about for him, he's trying to prove to them that Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament because that's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for the Messiah to come, right? And so he's going to use an Old Testament psalm that they would have sung many times they'd know, and he's going he's to use that psalm of David to say, look at Jesus is the Messiah that you're waiting for. He's not, he's not another King David that's going to just throw off the Romans. It's so much greater than that. Jesus came to save everyone from the eternal wages of sin that is death. That's what Peter's going to argue to these Jews. But for us, you know, how do we get people to see the reality of Jesus, to understand that they need him? And I think one of the ways is we need to listen to their story. See, Peter knew the story of these these Jews. He knew how to speak to them because he knew them well. He was a Jew too. He knew what this Pentecost was about. For us, that relationship is so key. We need to listen to their story. God is always working in hearts, isn't he? And so what's God doing in their hearts? What's, how's God working? We need to be listening for that. And then we can point them to, hey, look it, this is what God's doing in your life. This is what God's, how God's trying to get a hold of you. Don't you see it? That's why we need to be listening to what God's doing in their life. And then we have the opportunity, we'll see it in, I think I put it on here, yeah, thir verse 32, just take a quick look at that. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. I just pointed that out because Peter is going to use his own testimony of saying, look, it, I'm, I'm prove he proves from them from the scriptures, from the Psalm of David, that Jesus is the Messiah. But then he just throws in this personal point as well. He's like, look it, we know it for sure as disciples. We were witnesses to his resurrection. We know for sure. And he just puts that in there. And it was just, I just included that because I thought this is kind of like us giving our testimony, right? This is where in those conversations you're listening for what's God doing in their life. But then we're also looking for an opportunity maybe to share, look at this is what God's done in my life. 
This is how God, Jesus, is real. It's a relationship. This isn't just something I came up with. This isn't just a great way to live. You know, this is, Jesus is real. I know him. I know him. I'm in a relationship with him, and here's what he's done in my life. That's what your testimony is. We're going to get to hear those at the baptism Sunday. I'm excited. A few of those. But that's why that's such a witness, right? People can't deny, can't take away what Jesus has done in your life. And then Peter's going to conclude his sermon. Verses 33 to 35, he just reiterates the impact, the consequences of, of Jesus being made Lord, right? And he concludes it with, this is the conclusion to his sermon, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. And so whatever the opportunity is that God gives you, you can take out the house of Israel and you can put in our desire should be that we want, whoever God gives us that opportunity with, we want them to know for certain, what? That God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And I love this verse for just a picture of salvation, a picture of the gospel, and, and how we go about sharing that and receiving the, the gift of salvation. There's kind of three elements there. First off, you see, this Jesus whom you crucified. We talked about this already, that people need to understand we, have a, we are personally separated from God, right? Because of our sin, we've been separated from him. And Jesus, that salvation is that salvation from the punishment that we deserve. That's what makes him the Christ. The word Christ is just the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah, right? means Savior, right? And, and so that's that word. That's what makes Jesus the Savior is that he came and he took the wages of sin is death. He took that punishment of death. He took it upon himself. He took that, but then he overcame it. When he rose from the grave, he, grave, he showed that he, he conquered sin and death and he has the power over it. And that's why he can give us eternal life, right? And so that, all that in that word Christ, so maybe you use this verse when you're talking to somebody. Jesus is both, they ask you, who's Jesus to you? He's both Lord and Christ. He's Christ, he's my Savior. He saved me from my, my sin, that penalty, that separation from God. He made a way. And then he gave me his righteousness, right relationship with God. He covered me in that, clothed that, and I live in that now, right? But he's also my Lord. And Lord is master, Right? He's not just our Savior and then, okay, thank you, and then we carry on with life. No, He's our Lord. It requires us to turn, to, to make Him master of our life, to make Him Lord of our life. That's what it means to be a Christian, to receive the salvation of our Christ and to submit to Him as Lord. And then you look at the result. Verse 38, it said, verse 37, is they were cut to the heart, right? This crowd... That wasn't because Peter was a great speaker. It wasn't because he was, I mean, I'm sure he was a great speaker, <laughs> great preacher. But it was because the Holy Spirit was at work, right? And it cut them to the heart. And then Peter just simply responds. And they say, what are we to do? And he responds, repent. That word means to turn, right? To turn. I always like to say just it simply means, I like to phrase it this way, that life without Christ, before you were a Christian, you're doing things your own way. You're your own God. 
It's like you're going this way, doing your own thing. I'm my own God. I do whatever I want. I'm in charge of my life. And we realize that no, Jesus is Lord. That's not going to lead me to eternity. I don't get to have that authority over my life. God's real, and he has the authority of where I go. And he's made a way, and so I'm going to turn. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn. I'm going to make Jesus my Lord. And that means I surrender. I submit. I'm no longer going my way. I'm going his way. That's what it means to repent. Repent, be baptized. That's that public profession. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth. Right, that public profession of what God has done in your life and that he's your Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's under no other name under heaven by which you would be saved. Amen. And you will receive, or for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? And then so you receive that, that gift of the Holy Spirit to live in you. Right? And so now you're part of that new covenant. You don't live according to the law anymore. You're living according to the, by the Spirit at work within you. And then you join the team. And the next verse, 39, now you're on the mission. For the promise isn't just for you. It's awesome. Thank you, God, for our salvation. But it's for your children and for all who are far off, for those who are near, no nearer than your kids, from your own family, all the way to those who are far off, like the, the Inuit way up north. This gospel message, come join the team, everyone whom the Lord God himself calls. So let's be doers of the word. When God opens a door, you know, God gave Peter a door here for him to share the gospel. You saw how he did it. I think we can apply some to ourselves. But even just before we get to that, when God opens a door, I think of that verse in Colossians that says, pray that God would open a door. And so I encourage you that on your prayer list that you would have people that you're praying for that aren't, aren't believers, that you would be praying for God to give you an opportunity to speak to them. Look, if you do your devotions in the morning, like, think about who you're going to interact with that day and pray that God would give you an opportunity for a God conversation. You likely won't get to do the whole gospel all in one conversation. Awesome if you do. That'd be great. Sometimes God's prepared hearts like that. But often it's just a little God conversation. It's one more opportunity to share one of, some of that truth, an opportunity to, to point to how God is real, a point, an opportunity just to listen to what and find, figure out what God's doing in their life. When God opens a door, what do we do? We point to the reality of God connected to their situation in life, help them to see there's an eternity you know, this world, especially our culture, so badly wants us to believe that there's nothing. And yet you see even the, the people who call themselves atheists or agnostics and say there's nothing, when they get to a funeral, what do they cling to for hope? Grandma's with the angels. You know, she's looking down on us now because it's in us. We know that there's something more. We know that there's something more. And then what's the great message? God has given salvation through Jesus, who really is the Son of God, and he wants to be in their life. You can use your testimony to share that. So let's do that this week, church. That's what it means to be on mission. We go out. His God gives us opportunity. He opens doors for us. We share that message. We point them to the reality of who he is and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you. salvation. We thank you that we know you. Those of us that know you personally, 
and all that you do in our lives. You are our life. We thank you for the Holy Spirit to, to guide us and to give us the words to say and give us gifts that we can use to build one another up, to build the church up, to bear witness to you, Jesus. I pray that you would help us with the distractions of life as we go from here into our day-to-day, Lord, that we would have your eyes, Jesus, to see where you're already working. Give us humility and obedience to be used by you in whatever way you ask. Give When you put us in a situation that we would have the boldness with gentleness and respect to be used by you. And what a joy it is to be used by you for eternal things. We thank you so much for today. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together, to read your word, to encourage and challenge one another, to sing your praises. You are so good. We pray all this in Jesus' name.